for this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5. And as always, I want to thank you for listening to this as God's word, God's gracious and authoritative word. It's so important that we don't just listen to messages, but we listen to scripture. We don't just listen to an individual giving his opinion. We, we listen to the study of God's inerrant authoritative truth. That truth has power to transform us, to reveal to us God's glory. So let's read it with that heart in mind this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. Well, I can imagine that at least some of you are wondering what in the world is he going to say for 40 minutes to a room full of (laughs) non-pastors. I was reminded again thinking about this passage of a friend of mine who humorously told me a story about a a child who I guess early in the message turned to her and said, this isn't about me, and presumably stopped listening at that point. I thought, well, we might have a room full of that thought this morning. Well, this isn't about me. Breathe a sigh of relief. I suppose we could have just recorded this message and had Bart, Aaron, and I sit awkwardly in an office listening to me preach to myself, but that that really would have been awkward. And so thank you for coming uh, just so we didn't have to do that this morning. (laughs) Uh, But that being said, it is true that our pastoral team is sitting under this passage that is most directly addressed to us. And like every Christian, we sit under the authority of God's word. And especially when that word addresses our role directly. It is our first priority to welcome its authority and evaluation of our own work and ministry. It is a joy to sit under the authority of the chief shepherd. But I do have other hopes this morning as well. I hope that God will use this passage to reveal or to impart a call to ministry to some other men in our church. They may be very young men, they may not be. But I would pray this passage would have that effect. That it would amplify a sense of calling or a desire to pursue that evaluation if it is already there, that God will raise up from our church shepherds with a Christ-like heart for God's people. We never want to assume future faithful pastors. We want to pray that God would use a passage like this to raise them up. And so if that's you this morning, I pray God does a mighty work in your heart. I also hope that this passage helps 
Any Christian who has suffered or struggled under unfaithful pastoral ministry in the past, I pray that this description will encourage you that the Lord has a better plan for his people. I pray his good purpose will give you fresh faith for the future. I also hope that this passage helps every Christian in this room to affirm, to understand and affirm biblical pastoral ministry. Because if the church does not understand and affirm biblical or faithful pastoral ministry, it will inevitably seek after unbiblical and unfaithful pastoral ministry. We have to know what God's intention is so that we can support it and follow it. It is essential for every Christian to affirm pastoral ministry so that they are not disillusioned or discouraged or deceived by counterfeits. But above all, I hope this passage will show us the love and care of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd who loves his sheep and has given very loving instructions for their care until he returns. That's actually exactly what Jesus said to Peter. When Jesus rose from the dead, Peter likely still grieving under the weight of his denial of Christ. Jesus met him on the beach for breakfast. And the Apostle John records their conversation. It's a, it's a helpful background, I think, to this passage this morning. Let me read it to you. John records this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It strikes me that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. And then he gave him the expression of that love to Christ in caring for the people of Christ. I think that just reveals, as this passage does, the, the heart of Jesus for his people. That though ultimately he is our chief shepherd, that he is the one that sovereignly cares for us, provides for us, sends his Holy Spirit to comfort us, he also desires there to be a, a living, breathing, physical presence that is caring for his people until he returns. That there should never be a Christian without a, a human shepherd present with them physically throughout their journey from one pasture to the next in this life. That is the heart of Christ for his people. I think we could, we could put it this way. A faithful church needs Christ-like pastoral ministry. Or Christ has designed for his church to receive Christ-like pastoral ministry. And I want to break down this exhortation of Peter into uh, two sections. Really there are two main commands. Shepherd the flock of God addressed to elders. And then this second command, likewise you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. So obviously we'll spend most of our time on the first point. Now for pastors, the calling of these first four verses is very clear. We might summarize it as fulfill faithful pastoral ministry. 
Fulfill faithful pastoral ministry. Do not neglect or fail to serve the people of God in the way and manner that Christ has designed. Fulfill pastoral ministry. But obviously uh, most of you listening and perhaps those listening online are not called to be pastors. So how do we apply this to us? Well, I would want to use the word affirm. Affirm, it it has this word that, that means we're to mentally agree with. To allow our definition of ministry to align with God's word. And obviously, if we affirm something, it should bear out in our physical lifestyle, our way of, our way of life. We should be mentally agreeing and practically supporting faithful pastoral ministry. Affirm. So that's what I want to call all non-pastors to this morning. To agree with God about the definition and purpose of the pastors that he has given to his church. To affirm faithful pastoral ministry. Ministry. There's a number of things that a, even a non-pastor can affirm as we walk through this exhortation. We want to affirm first the urgency of faithful pastoral ministry. Look down here at verse 1. Peter says, so, that word could be also, therefore, I exhort the elders among you. So and exhort indicate that Peter is looking back at all he has been saying, which we've enjoyed over the last number of months, all he has been saying in light of his calls to faithfulness for the church, in light of the challenge of persecution, in light of the importance of Christian witness, in light of the immediately preceding passage about the judgment of the Lord beginning with the church and purifying the church. In light of all of that, Peter says, therefore... I exhort the elders, shepherd the flock of God. So in Peter's mind, this this end times epistle, this instructions for the end of the world, has a, a practical therefore, and that therefore is directed squarely at the need for, the urgency for, pastoral, faithful pastoral ministry. In light of the purification of the church, in light of the persecution of the church, the challenge of the church to faithfulness, what is needed, Peter says, faithful pastoral ministry. So, he says, therefore, then he uses this word, exhort. The Greek word there could also be translated beg or appeal. It's not command. It's, a, it's an earnest appeal. Therefore, in light of all that I've said about the church and faithfulness in this fallen world, I appeal. This elderly pastor has an urgent appeal. And I think as Christians, we should affirm the urgency of it. We shouldn't minimize it or dismiss it or downplay it in any way. To, to affirm the urgency of pastoral ministry is the responsibility of a faithful Christian. God thinks this is urgent, therefore a Christian should too. Wayne Grudem comments this way, he says, It is likely that the thought of judgment beginning from the house of God in 417 prompted Peter to focus on the need for purity of heart before God in relationships among those in the church beginning with the leaders of the church. In in light of God purifying the church, Pastors had better be faithful, Peter might paraphrase. The church needs them to exercise their ministry faithfully. I appeal to you, Peter says. I exhort you. So we, as Christians or non-pastors, can affirm the urgency of this. There can be no passivity when it comes to the importance of of faithful pastoring. We can also affirm the foundation of pastoral ministry. Peter interrupts his exhortation 
to create his credentials and also to remind them of the foundation of Christian ministry in the first place. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So he provides credentials. He reminds them that he is first a fellow elder. He is not asking them to do anything that he himself has not participated in. He is also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And he is one who will partake of the glory to be revealed, as he has said, when Christ returns. Now obviously this means that Peter absolutely has the authority. He was an eyewitness of Christ himself. He was present when Christ was betrayed, taken away, and he saw Christ rise from the dead. He knows of those glories firsthand because he saw them in Christ and he anticipates them for himself and for every fellow believer and pastor. So he has the credentials to make this command. Peter has the divine commission to declare, here is what faithful pastoring is in the church. But I think more than that, He's also reminding pastors of the foundation, the center of their ministry. Peter could have said anything. It struck me that when you're creating your credentials, the credentials are valuable to the degree they make sense what you're exhorting someone to do. You don't have a person say, listen, listen, I'm a medical doctor. Here's how you should handle that oil leak. Listen, listen, I fix cars. Just hand me that baby. I know how to take care of it. Well, yes, but what experience do you have? What, what does that have to do? Listen, listen, I'm an electrician. I know exactly how to fix that plumbing leak. No, you, you create credentials based on their relevancy to the ministry. I think that's what Peter is doing. He's saying, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and of the glory to be revealed. And that is the foundation for any faithful pastoral ministry. The ministry is a ministry of Christ. It's a ministry that bears witness to Christ, not eyewitness the way Peter did, but carrying on that witness. It's a a ministry of the heavenly glories that we are anticipating. Peter is saying, I have the credentials to exhort you to be faithful, and those very credentials are also a reminder of the center and foundation of pastoral ministry. Pastoral ministry that is not grounded in the witness to Jesus Christ is non-Christian pastoral ministry. No matter how kind or helpful or positive a person is, Christian ministry is founded on the first century witnesses to Christ and on the ongoing witness to his person and work in every generation. It is always the case that a faithful pastor says, I am a witness of Christ Jesus. Not an eyewitness, but a personal message bearer of Christ Jesus who suffered and died for sinners, who rose to glory and offers life to all who will believe in him. That is the essence, the of my ministry. There is no additional ministry that can't be directly connected to Christ and him crucified and risen. And if Christ is not the foundation and definition of the ministry, then it is not Christian at all. You see what Peter is doing? He's, he's, he's just in his credentials. He's also reinforcing the central point. Paul would say to the Corinthians, I, I desire to know nothing among you. Hyperbole, certainly, but making a point. I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. 
So if you want to know where, what will be happening, God being gracious to us, allowing us to live and be faithful, 10 years from now, in this pulpit, it will be Christ and him crucified, preached and proclaimed. If you want to know what we will be teaching when it comes to parenting, it will be how Christ and him crucified relates to parenting. It will be how Christ and him risen relates to marriages. How Christ and him risen relates to obedience and holiness and godliness and witness and evangelism and church life and life at your job and life on, on those difficult journeys of suffering like we've had this year. It's how Christ relates to all of those things. Because at the end of the day, we are all merely carrying on the witness to who Christ is. In other words, a true shepherd exists to point people to the true shepherd. Now, Christians should affirm and only affirm Christ-grounded ministry. To fail to affirm Christ-grounded ministry is to affirm non-Christian ministry, whatever the name of that ministry may be. This requires discernment on the part of Christians. Now, I I can imagine some of you listening to this church will, will not spend your entire life in this ministry. You may move or you may plant a church someday or God may call you to the mission field or any number of, of necessary reasons why you wouldn't be sitting here. When you choose a church... Let me encourage you, find a way to have a conversation with members of that pastoral team who know what they are talking about and ask them, what is the essence and core of your ministry? And in that conversation, if it does not include with great passion Christ and him crucified, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sufferings of Christ, the purposes of Christ, don't go there. And if you go to a church that is not particularly impressive, it has weaknesses and vulnerabilities and the the music's bad and they don't have a lot of ministries, but you talk to one of those pastors and they say, "What, what is the essence of your ministry? When you preach, what are you focused on? And he says, Christ and him crucified and risen. I want Christ to be seen in my people. I want them to know Christ and love Christ. I want the Bible to be preached about Christ. And you should joyfully and gladly be excited to attend a church even with leaky roof and one okay musician and a couple of half-baked ministries because Christ is at the center. Affirm the centrality of Christ in the Christian ministry. That is the foundation of Peter's appeal. He is a witness of that suffering and based on that credibility he calls them to shepherd the flock that Christ purchased by that suffering. We can also affirm the role of pastoral ministry. Look at what Peter says, this central command, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, Peter uses three terms here. Some of this message is going to be informational. I thought it might be helpful uh, just to tell you for the first time if you don't know or remind you if we've talked about it before Peter uses three terms that are very helpful to note first of all notice in verse one he calls them elders he calls them elders which is a a Greek word from which we get the modern word presbyterian presbyteros it means elder it has a, a Jewish synagogue background it was the word that would describe the spiritual leaders of the congregation they had spiritual authority. That's an important word, elder. Then notice the word shepherd, very important word. 
shepherd in verse 2. And then notice another word down there in the middle of verse 2, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight is where we get the word, a connection to that word, the, the English word bishop in some denominations. Exercising oversight. So those three words are very important. Elder, shepherd, and oversight. Now we need to understand that the Bible, even right here in this passage, uses these words interchangeably. They are three terms to describe the same group of people. Do you see that? So in other words, Peter does not say, I exhort the elders among you, first of all. And then secondly, let me say something to the overseers. And then secondly, let me say something to the pastors. The the Greek word for shepherd could be connected to the Latin word uh, for shepherd. And that's where we get the modern word pastor. So these three concepts are not addressed to three different groups of people. Do you notice that in there? Look look down your Bibles and I want you to see that in the text. Don't just take my word for it. See that in here. I, I exhort you elders that you are to shepherd, pastor the flock of God, exercising oversight. That oversight is the same word that... Paul uses when he says uh, those who desire to be overseers should be above reproach. Elders, in other words, elders are to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. In other words, there there is one group of people, one office of spiritual authority that may be described as elders or pastors or overseers in the church. Paul does the exact same thing in Acts chapter 20. Hopefully this will be behind me. If not, you can turn there. Now, from Miletus, this is Paul. He sent to Ephesus and called, notice these three words, the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, important word, overseers to, and here's that word again, care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. For our church, this means that we do not believe that it is biblical to have some men who are elders and not pastors, or pastors and not elders. We do that because of these passages. It, it, there is, you can't make the case, I don't think, that these are two different groups of people. According to these passages, there is a single office which may be described by the term elder or pastor or overseer. We've chosen to use the word most commonly pastor because we think that English word conveys the combination of authority and practical real care that we think is described by these kinds of passages. It's a helpful conviction of the church that this passage speaks to we thought it would be helpful to reference this morning. Now, to return the passage, what does it mean for a non-pastor to affirm the biblical role of pastoring? Well, I want to focus on this, this main verb here, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. So a, a pastor is compared to a shepherd. And this analogy is used throughout the scriptures of the leaders of God's people. They are called shepherds. And the people of God are called sheep. So obviously the shepherds are first of all sheep, but they're just sheep that have a particular role of being shepherds. Now this is a humbling and instructive and inspiring metaphor. It's humbling because it is not an exalted worldly role 
Pastors are not compared to generals or emperors or CEOs. They are leaders, yes, but they are shepherd leaders. So I think it's, it's very unhelpful when churches or pastors take their concept of leadership primarily from the business world or from the military world or from the political world because there's a type of leadership that is appropriate and good in those realms that is not shepherd leadership. It doesn't mean they have, they have no overlap but those kinds of, there's nothing in the scriptures explicitly that basically says, here's how a general should lead. Now there's some general categories. Here's how a president should lead. Here's how a CEO should lead. And so we use common grace and general biblical principles to apply to that. That's not true with pastors. There are passages in the Bible that give the direct instruction manual for how you are to be a pastor. So you are not allowed to just take general leadership principles and decide, well, generally this is what leaders do. No, no, but we've already received specific instructions. You're not just a leader, you are a shepherd leader. And that should humble any pastor. The picture that comes to mind is not of Alexander the Great leading his armies to victory, charging the mountain. No, it's of a simple guardian and guide, not impressive in any worldly sense, just weathering the long nights and ensuring the flocks are fed and safe while he himself lives among them. He is not weak, I think, in this country, because we don't know a lot about shepherds. We tend to think of a, a sort of gentle picture of pastoral, of pastoral ministry, because the shepherd, is just, he's just gentle. He's like wool. But no, in order to have wool, you have to have a tough shepherd, <laughs> So he's not weak in that sense, but he is gentle with the flock. He is strong against the enemies of the flock, but he is gentle with the flock. He's not passive, but he's not a conqueror. It's also an instructive metaphor in that it provides a number of very helpful analogies for spiritual leadership. What a shepherd does physically, a pastor does for Christians spiritually. Easton's Bible Dictionary describes a shepherd this way. Very helpful when you think about it as, a, as an allegory. He says, In early morning, the shepherd led forth the flock from the fold, marching at its head to the spot where they would be pastured. Here he watched them all day, taking care that none of the sheep strayed, and if any for a time eluded his watch and wandered away from the rest, seeking diligently until he found and brought it back. In those lands, sheep require to be supplied regularly with water. And the shepherd for this purpose has to guide them either to some running stream or to wells dug in the wilderness and furnished with troughs. At night, he brought the flock home to the fold, counting them as they passed under the rod at the door to assure himself that none were missing. Nor did his labors always end with sunset. Often, he had to guard the fold through the dark hours from the attack of wild beasts or the wily attempts of the prowling thief. And God says, here's an example of what it means to be a spiritual leader of my people. Shepherd. Jesus knew that. He didn't need a Bible dictionary paragraph. He knew what a shepherd did and was. And he said, that's, that's the example I want. That's what a spiritual 
leader does for my people. He's not a conqueror. He's not a general. He's not a captain. He's not a CEO. He's a shepherd. This calling of pastors to shepherd God's people needs to be affirmed in our minds when we think about pastoral needs in all of our own lives. Christians are not bulls with horns to fight battles on their own. They're not predators with claws and teeth. We are sheep. I mean... Could there be a more vulnerable metaphor for every Christian, including pastors? We are sheep. I mean, they can't even roll over once they get upturned. They need help with water. They wander away randomly. They fall into pits. They're vulnerable to snares. They, they get stuck in random places. The wolves come after them and they have no means of defending themselves. They are, they are a vulnerable metaphor for Christians and, and all of us are sheep. Certainly there are some stronger sheep than others. There are some who understand more the care and protection of the shepherd and stay closer to him than others. But sheep never become in themselves strong. Listen, there are no gladiator sheep. There's no like, you know, it's like a Pixar movie, the gladiator sheep. That The one guy that contradicted all of his genetics and went out and conquered the wolves by himself. No, there is no such thing as a gladiator sheep. No sheep has in themselves the armor, strength, discernment they need to fight the enemy and find pasture on their own. A gladiator sheep in the Bible is called a dead sheep. A solitary Christian in the Bible is soon revealed to be no Christian at all. A Christian who trusts in their own discernment, looks to their own resources, is confident of their own strength against the enemy, their own ability to find pasture on their own, is vulnerable. The strongest sheep are the sheep that best understand that the nature of sheep are to be stronger in the flock and with the shepherd. The best sheep are those that follow closely with the shepherd and with those under-shepherds who most closely reflect that shepherd. Now this metaphor is instructive for pastors and Christians alike. It should humble pastors. It should also inspire and honor pastors as well because Christ himself is the great shepherd. And so the privilege and honor, imagine that for Peter. Imagine that moment for Peter after he's denied the Lord, wondering if he can even be a disciple, let alone a leader, after he said, I don't know that man. And Jesus comes to him and he encourages him twice. He allows him to say he he loves the Lord three times in replacement of his betrayal. And then he says in restoration, tend my sheep. Now Peter knew that Jesus called himself the great shepherd. So this is as if the master shepherd comes to a lowly and failing individual and says, I want you to take care of my sheep. 
there's a, a humbling and a, a sobering and an incredible privilege to the honor of this. The great shepherd wants you to take care of his sheep in your weakness and inability. And he knows, I love Peter's answer, you know everything. Yes, he does. You know how weak I am, Lord. You know I couldn't even stay awake on that last night. You know I was afraid of their questions. You know I denied you. You know all of those things. Yes. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Ultimately, the great shepherd wants his sheep to have under shepherds. He wants his care to be expressed through men who are, are willing to simply say, I, I'm just serving him. Here's what he says to you. Here's how he encourages you. Here is his word to feed you. Here is his spirit to refresh you, remind you. Here is his flock to comfort and protect you. Here is his grace to bless you in the morning like the dew. And here is his, his balm to heal you of your wounds. That's what an under-shepherd does. He says, look, we have a great shepherd. Let me carry you to him. Now, Christians should affirm the role of the biblical pastor. They should endorse and affirm those men, however weak and struggling, but who are genuinely, faithfully seeking to honor the great shepherd in the way they care for the flock. We should also affirm the right motive of the pastor. I'll move quickly through here. You've got to feel the, the love of Christ in these restrictions for pastors. That Christian should feel the love of Christ. Th this is the great shepherd saying to those who will have immediate contact with the sheep, you may not do this to them. And you may not do this to them. And you may not do this to them. Well, the Christian should hear that as care and love and affection. Look at the motives that have to be present. A shepherd may not shepherd under compulsion, but willingly. So no one should feel forced to pastoral ministry. This should be an eager work, a willing work. It should not be a sense of, well, my dad told me I had to be a pastor, so I guess I have to pastor these people, or I don't have anything else I can do. I guess I'll pastor. No, Jesus says, no pastors like that. Willing and eager, willing to stand sentinel. Doctrinally, willing to care for the weak sheep, willing to love the wandering. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Notice the care of God for his people, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, you're not, you're not a pastor, and obviously this forbids any kind of embezzlement, at the very least. But I think more than that, it forbids a kind of a, a monetary or selfish motive. Viewing this purely as a, a means of, of acquiring a career. Gain that is for its own sake. Jesus called those kind of men hirelings. They're just there for the money. They're, they're just there to benefit themselves. They have no interest in the sheep, really. They wouldn't sacrifice themselves. They're, they're just there for shameful gain. Peter says, no, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I'm eager to care for God's people. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It's been stated repeatedly that the flock metaphor is perfect because of, unlike cattle which are driven, sheep are led. 
There was no whip at their back driving them. There was a shepherd at their front. It's said of shepherds in, in Palestine that even if flocks are intermingled and two shepherds are there resting in the midday, when they, when they stand and give their distinctive call, the, the flocks will organize themselves immediately after their shepherd. The shepherd leads them with his voice. And ultimately, our shepherd is Jesus who calls to us. We hear his voice and we follow after him. The under-shepherds should lead in the same way. Just proclaiming the truth of God's word. Calling to the sheep. Not driving them. Not domineering. Not looking for them to prop up his name or his authority or his reputation. But looking to use his role to serve and care and protect and warn and guard them. There is no place for a compulsive, greedy, domineering person to call himself a pastor. These motives are an essential warning for anyone who considers pastoral ministry. Pastoral ministry is somewhat unusual in that this job, it matters what your heart is, not just what you produce. There are many jobs that that's, that's not the case. We, we don't necessarily ask whether the plumber that comes to our house is excited and eager and joyful about fixing our leak. What we care about is that he does a good job. And we'd rather him be joyful, but at the end of the day, if he does a good job, I'd rather a grumpy good plumber than a joyful bad plumber any day. It doesn't really matter if the CEO goes to work because he feels he has to to pay for his debts. If at the end of the day the company thrives and does well, the shareholders will be thrilled. But the ultimate owner of this company says, oh, it matters very much, not just what you do or how you produce it, but your motive, your heart. And so Christians should be eager to affirm not just the production of the pastor. Oh, nice ministry, nice sermon, nice church. No, but is his disposition eager, willing, humble, gentle, gracious, a reflection of the chief shepherd? We should also affirm the goal of pastors. Look what Peter says to encourage pastors. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know any pastor that isn't humbled after hearing of what all their motives should be and then hearing that Christ will give them a crown of glory. There is only grace as the explanation for that. No pastor that's any good reads these motive descriptions and thinks, yeah, that's, that pretty much describes me. <laughs> no, a, a, a humble pastor looks at us and says, oh, Lord, where, where am I not eager? Where am I not willing? Where, where, where have I been proud? Lord, how can I become gentler? How can I become more gracious? I, I, I shouldn't even be called one of your under-shepherds. And then to hear, when the Lord returns you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We'll receive it from him, himself. And what does this mean for a church? Well, it means that a church should affirm pastors who are focused on the approval of Jesus Christ. They should desire pastors who are largely disinterested in the approval or disapproval of the world. 
who aren't even ultimately concerned about the approval or disapproval of the sheep. That's a little harder for Christians to affirm. I want a pastor who ultimately doesn't mind disappointing me if he thinks that would please God. But a good sheep wants a shepherd who has his eye fixed on Jesus. And if that means that he has to warn this bickering sheep or call back this wandering sheep or confront this obnoxious sheep, well, that sheep should desire a shepherd who has his eye fixed on the well done at the end and not on the great job pastor in the meantime. Faithful churches need faithful pastoral ministry. Christians should affirm biblical pastoral ministry. Let me say a couple of things. We receive, as pastors, we receive this passage not thinking, aren't you lucky to have us? But aware of how unlike Jesus we are. But by the grace of a forgiving chief shepherd, we are eager to make this our goal. This is our goal more than anything else. Church size ultimately doesn't matter. Church budget ultimately doesn't matter. Number of ministries ultimately doesn't matter. Those things are useful, great, but ultimately what matters is the approval of Jesus Christ in conformity to this passage and others like it. Now, if at any time you encounter a pastor of Redemption Hill living in some kind of unrepentant failure of this calling, we would urge and expect you to lovingly confront that pastor and, if necessary, to bring up that feeling with the other members of the pastoral team. We would urge you to do so. A pastor is a sheep and he has responsibilities. And if there is an unrepentant failure in some clear way of these categories, I would urge you to confront me or any of the guys on the team. And if the team was unwilling to listen or was unwilling to receive biblical reproof, then we would expect the church to share those concerns with other pastors in our family of churches so that they could help us realign ourselves with God's word. It's one of the reasons we have a partnership is so that the church has recourse in a moment of unruly or unsubmissive or non-humble pastors. Now if in any church you have experienced pastoral failure in the past, pastors who were harsh or immoral or cruel or let you down, I grieve with you. I don't mean that to be condescending towards them at all. Any of us could fall and let someone down at any time. But I understand that causes pain. I hope this passage encourages you. The Lord has a very different standard of care for his people. And imperfect shepherds here should remind us of the perfect shepherd who ultimately cares for us. The solution to former bad pastoring is not rejecting pastoring, but affirming and pursuing godly pastoring. Affirm 
faithful pastoral ministry. Now, second and briefly, submit to faithful pastoral ministry. Peter adds in verse 5 this addendum, likewise, that word could mean just in continuing the same thought, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, commentators aren't sure of the precise target of this exhortation. Is Peter generalizing that many pastor elders are older and he's exhorting younger Christians? Or does this word, which could also be translated new, refer to those who are new in the faith? Or is he just concerned about young people because of a normal tendency towards independence? We don't know exactly. I tend to think that Peter's focus is on young Christians. Though certainly the call here to submission is one that every Christian, actually maturity means an increase in the desire to be submissive in appropriate ways, not a decrease. As Hebrews says to all Christians, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. But let me direct this, as Peter does, specifically to younger people or younger Christians. There is a lie in this world. A lie of self-sufficiency in the Christian life. It questions spiritual authority. It questions the importance of any kind of pastoral ministry. And like most lies, it has a kernel of truth. Pastors are not perfect. Some pastors are pastors in name only, and they do deceive the flock. Christians are called to be discerning and to reject false teaching. All those things are true. But then the lie takes over. Therefore, it says, trust yourself. Trust your instincts. Just create and curate your own selection of teachings. YouTube is available so that you can pastor yourself. Just pick whatever selection of teachings that sound good to you and create your own sermon diet. There's nothing wrong with listening to sermons on YouTube. Listening to sermons on podcasts, that's a good thing. May God use that in the life of the church. But if it reveals a heart towards independence, self-pastoring, self-care, it's unbiblical. I don't believe we're the only faithful church in this county, let alone in Austin, let alone in the country. There are many, many faithful churches. But let me speak to young Christians and young people. Listen, you must actually submit to one of them. A sheep that is in no flock in particular is vulnerable to wolves in general. A sheep that is the responsibility of no particular shepherd is uniquely vulnerable to any particular pit. Are we all a part of the broad mystical body of Christ yes we are we're meant to be particularly connected and submitted to one particular flock where one particular shepherd is able to say that is my sheep I will give account for them and I will watch over them if they begin to wander away if there's no shepherd that can say that about you you are in danger and no pastor on the internet can say that about you 
This isn't to say that all sheep should be here. I mean, we couldn't care for them all if they all came here. They, they shouldn't all be here, but they should be somewhere. They should be somewhere where they can say, that pastor is a biblically faithful pastor. I will entrust myself to his care on a human level, ultimately trusting in the Lord. Be subject. Just strikes right at the heart of our tendency towards pride and independence. Don't just respect or honor. Be subject to them. Whether a Christian is young or not, a Christian who is not clearly and willingly submitted to the spiritual watchfulness of a faithful pastor is defying the care of Christ himself. A Christian who is not intentionally and explicitly submitted to the care of a watchful pastor is defying the care of Christ himself. You who are younger, Peter says, after decades of experience as a shepherd, surely countless painful memories of watching the young and the proud and the self-confident be deceived and turn away from the faith, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now let me say this to the membership of our church, young and old alike. Thank you for expecting and affirming biblical pastoral ministry. Our team has no expectation other than that Christians in this church desire pastors who will simply represent God's word. We don't know what it's like to be in ministry with people who crave some kind of flattering word, some kind of abbreviated word, some kind of self-help word. We know what it's like to be in a church where people want God's word. And that is to your eternal credit and the grace of God in your lives. You make pastoring a joy. You are obeying Hebrews 13. And you are affirming functionally this passage in your life. This word is not corrective. It's a good reminder. Hopefully it helps us to do this with fresh faith. But it is not corrective. It is an opportunity for us to say thank you for being a church that faithfully affirms and supports and encourages and propels forward faithful biblical pastoral ministry. It is a joy to be a shepherd in this flock. And you should be encouraged for making that work a joy. Every time you encourage us, it just makes us want to preach again and counsel again and care again. I can't go through a Sunday without somebody coming up and saying, hey, thank you for serving. Thank you for being a church that makes this passage an eager calling. Finally, let me issue a call, if I can. I don't know who this is for. Maybe it's for nobody in this room. Maybe it's somebody that's going to find this message online in 20 years. I don't know. But it could be for somebody in this room. And, and I wanted to issue a call. Let me issue a call to any young man, and I don't mean young as in a child. I mean, if, if, if you're not retired, <laughs> any young man out there whose heart is stirred by the Holy Spirit, if you have a godly interest in pastoral ministry, let me encourage you not to ignore that desire 
for 20 years. I pray that there may be some in our church that God raises up to preach his word, to care for his flock for many decades to come. There are some young men here who will certainly outlive our pastoral team. And I pray that God will lay on the heart of one or several to represent the chief shepherd. I pray that the honor of loving the sheep of Christ himself will drive you to study the word and grow in character and to learn of the doctrines of the faith and to learn principles of pastoral leadership. I pray that you will be bold enough to share this desire at a young age so that your teenage and college years, if you are at that age, or your 20s and 30s, if you're at that age, can be spent in edifying preparation rather than in postponing serious-minded growth. I pray that even now the joy of the Lord in his church and the patience of the shepherd of his sheep will come upon you along with a steel beam courage to preach Christ and him crucified and the whole counsel of God regardless of what the professing church or the culture demands of you. I pray that God would raise up those who are courageous and humble, who are joyful and sober-minded, who are gentle and strong, who will devote themselves to preparing people to meet their maker and praise their Savior. And if that is you, begin now by studying his word, learning to love people, And express that desire at whatever age you are to your parents or your pastors or your community group leader. And be willing to be trained for years if necessary. The flock of Christ that he purchased with his own blood needs men that will shepherd like Jesus. May the Lord grant that this church always have biblical pastoral shepherds. Let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the chief shepherd that never fails. Lord, we fail often. And we are not strong enough to carry your flock home. But you are. Lord, in any church that is built on you has every confidence they need for the future. Lord, thank you for the many ways where you overrule our weaknesses and sins and limitations as a pastoral team and provide for your church anyway in spite of us. Lord, I do pray that you would raise up aspiring pastors in this church. Lord, not all are called to this ministry, but I pray you would raise some up. Lord, if they are very young, I pray that even today they would go to their mom or dad and they would express that as a desire. Lord, if they are older, if they are grown, Lord, and that desire has been dormant in their heart, I pray you would raise it up and I pray you'd give us the resources, Lord, to train and equip and position them to serve your people. And Lord, all of this is because of your condescension toward us. You love your church. You care for us. You are our 
shepherd. Lord, in this season is all about celebrating your humble, self-sacrificing care. We thank you. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.